Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economic team. And happy financial year to our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Oh, hi, Craig. And oh, you've just reminded me it's coming around to tax time again, isn't it? Get that Division 293 ready, Matthew. As Sydney remains in lockdown for yet another week, it's hard to not negatively compare where we're at in our fight against COVID against other countries. The UK is enjoying Wembley with European football and Wimbledon finals, all with crowds, and it recently announced it will fully reopen on the 9th of July, despite having 30,000 new cases a day. The Morrison government in Australia is boasting about strong vaccination rates. Matthew, should we be comfortable on where Australia is at now in its vaccine rollout? Well, Craig, unfortunately, our rollout is not where it needs to be. We've administered first doses of the vaccine to around 24% of the population, but we've only fully vaccinated a touch over 6% of the population now. If I compare that to 38 of the major developed economies, our peers, we rank fifth lowest in terms of the proportion of people partially vaccinated and are last in terms of the proportion of the population fully vaccinated. And uh, our estimate is that our current pace of vaccination, it would take until late in the first quarter of next year to fully vaccinate 70% of the population. And that's the likely low level threshold for herd immunity, Craig. It's a huge contrast, Matthew, to earlier in the pandemic when Australia received, you know, Fauci's global praise, if you will, for our handling of the outbreak. Our approach has been zero tolerance, a policy of COVID eradication and zero community case rates. In the current environment, is that approach realistic? Well, the Delta variant, Craig, has undermined, I think, the longer term viability of the eradication strategy. Unfortunately, though, at the moment, we have no choice, in my opinion, but to lock down while we have so few people vaccinated. Otherwise, we risk going the way of India. But even with a vaccinated population, we now need to look towards a future of living with COVID instead of eradicating COVID. And this means that Australia will need to change its mentality around those acceptable number of cases and hospitalizations and indeed deaths, uh, Craig, because those numbers will be higher than zero if we want to avoid ongoing lockdowns and open our international borders sometime in the future. Yeah, it's quite a confronting situation. You're listening to Craig Balanswala and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the current economic foresight shaping your investment outlook. Matthew, we know that a number of countries have now got vaccination rates that are closing on those herd immunity levels you mentioned at around 70%. The UK and Israel are two countries that spring to mind there. Is this the new benchmark for global government policy? Okay, I don't know if it's the new benchmark, but certainly, you know, the experience of the UK and Israel can give us insights into what to expect. So the UK has given a first dose to two-thirds of the population and has fully vaccinated around about half its population. Israel has also vaccinated about two-thirds of its population with one dose and almost 60% has been fully vaccinated. Now, the experience in the UK, Craig, has that they have suppressed daily case rates from a peak of around 70,000 in January to around 2,000 per day, that is, uh, in April and May as they locked down and as they rolled out the vaccine. 
But as the Delta virus spread and as the UK have eased restrictions, those daily case rates have climbed back up to around 25,000 a day. In Israel, where a greater proportion of the population are fully vaccinated, the daily case rates fell from a high of 10,000 a day back in January to as low as single digits in early June. But that too has since seen a rise to around 300 days, the Delta variant spread and as the country's reopened. So Matthew, how do these case rates we just discussed then for the UK and Israel translate to an Australian context? Yes, well, so if Australia had an equivalent case rate to that of the UK currently, we would have around 7,000 cases per day. An equivalent case rate to that more highly vaccinated Israel would still see us with over 600 cases per day. So a feature of the vaccines is to, of course, also lower the incidence of severe illness and thereby reducing hospitalisation and death rates. At the start of the COVID, we talked about flattening the curve. It's almost a spin on that. If we look at the hospitalisation and death rates in the UK and Israel now, is that story different? Yes, it is, Craig. So, you know, those daily case rates, infection rates, they look really high to us. But it is quite a different story when you go to the hospitalisation and death rates because we know the vaccine suppresses the hospitalisation and death rates compared to the infection rates. So in the UK, as those case rates fell as the vaccination was rolled out, the death rates also fell significantly, but really dramatically. So they went from a high, that's the death rates, from 1,800 back in January to below 10 per day during May, June. And despite the subsequent rise in cases as restrictions are eased and the Delta virus has taken hold because of the vaccinations, those death rates in the UK have edged up only slightly and they're ranging between 10 and 30 a day currently. Similarly, the weekly hospitalisation rates have risen to about 1,500 and that's up from a low of 600 back in May, but that's still way below the high levels pre-vaccine that we saw in the UK of 28,000 weekly hospitalisation rates, that's back in January. Now in Israel, the news is even better. Deaths have remained minimal with most days in June seeing no deaths. And in fact, there's only been two deaths in Israel recorded since um, the middle of June. Now, the weekly hospitalisation rates also remain low in Israel, about 35 per week, compared to a peak in the pre-vaccine period of over 2,000 in January. So a lot better results for hospitalisation and death rates. Yeah, and of course, the hospitalisation rates was one of the big concerns early on, Matthew, given the pressure it puts on the system. In the UK and Israel, these states appear to be accepting or acceptable of the outcomes involved. Both countries have no intention to go back into lockdown. So how would these numbers translate to Australia? Well, if Australia had the UK experience, Craig, we'd have 600 hospitalisations and over 40 deaths per week. The Israeli equivalent would see around 100 hospitalisations and only three deaths per week. You're listening to Craig Balanswaller and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the current economic foresights shaping your investment outlook. These death and hospitalisation rates, Matthew, are very high relative to our experience here in Australia and would be very confronting for people. So would and why should Australia tolerate the UK or Israel scenario? Yes, you're right, Craig. Um, and these levels compared to our current outcomes of zero tolerance. 
you'd have to say that there's virtually no way that they would be acceptable. However, if we are to live with COVID, we have to accept the possibility of hospitalisations and deaths. Now, one measuring stick, I suppose, that we can look at to see what we would tolerate is the annual deaths due to influenza. So in 2019, Craig, during the 2019 influenza reporting season, we saw over 800 deaths reported, which is around 15 a week. Now, this level of 15 a week uh, is somewhere between the uh, rate of deaths due to COVID that we're currently seeing in the UK and Israel in the equivalent scenario. In terms of hospitalisations over 2019, we had around 4,000 people hospitalised due to the flu. Uh, That's just under 80 a week. So again, this level of hospitalisation is between the UK and Israeli current COVID experience, closer to the Israeli than the UK experience. And therefore, it's probably unlikely to overwhelm our health system if we did get that sort of outcome. Yeah, really interesting benchmark there, Matthew. Uh, Given that we're now considering the longer-term costs in our current COVID policies, we saw Aussies returning home in droves at the start of COVID. It's almost now conceivable that opening economies in the Northern Hemisphere could lead to a brain drain for Australia, if you will. So what are the possible longer-term costs or implications of our current national COVID expectations, Matthew? Mm, well, well, Craig, just on the numbers for a second, we estimate that a two-week lockdown in Sydney costs the Australian economy $2.5 billion. Now, New South Treasury says it's going to cost about $1.8 billion. Other commentators, uh, JP Morgan, I noticed, came out with an estimate of $2 billion. So let's say you know, the Sydney two-week lockdown, that's heading into three weeks, as we know, that's going to cost us $2 billion. Now, if we pursue indefinitely, though, a policy of zero tolerance of community transition, then even with 70% of the population vaccinated, we would face lockdowns every time an outbreak happened. The situation, for example, we're seeing in Sydney will continue to happen across Australia with a city lockdown until case rate numbers remain at zero for about two weeks, which seems to be the standard at the moment. Now, I know RBA Governor Phil Lowe has said that the economy bounces back from a Sydney-style lockdown pretty quickly with little permanent impact. But if you had a kind of permanent rolling lockdown across our major cities, and that became a permanent feature of the economic landscape, it's clear there will be longer term negative feedback to the economy. And of course, as you intimated, we won't be able to open our international borders. We'd be totally cut off from the world. And as you implied in your question, Craig, Australia would become a less desirable place to live. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, And in summary, as a nation, we are starting to face a stark social policy decision, which has significant economic implication and is starting to really shape our national culture. The numbers we've discussed today are confronting and the longer term impacts are starting to become very clear. Unfortunately, the current evidence is, is if Australia can get to herd immunity, we will not enjoy zero community or hospitalisation rates without those rolling lockdowns persisting. So are we comfortable with this? Should we be having this conversation as a nation? We are now operating in a global economy that has pivoted which is now focused on introducing and seemingly accepting an environment of living and operating with levels of COVID. Our policymakers are faced with an enormous decision. Do Australians' expectations and tolerances need to change? And if so, at what point do we move? 
I'm Craig Valenzuela for QIC's QPod. Thank you for listening and have a super weekend.